Welcome to the Private School Leader Podcast, where private school leaders learn how to thrive and not just survive as they serve and lead their schools. I'm your host, Mark Minkus. I want to start today's episode by asking you a question. How old were you when you had your first checking account? I want to say that I was around 14 years old and I had the little checkbook and had the actual deposit slips and the little bank account book and all those things. Everything was paper back then. And you know how this works. Ever since you've had a checking account, you know that you make deposits and you make withdrawals. And with the deposits, most of the time now it's direct deposit. And then when you go to the grocery store or go out to eat or uh, put something on your card, you make a withdrawal. And there has to be enough money in the account to cover the withdrawal. Or you bounce the check or the card is declined. Your teachers have emotional bank accounts and you are the banker. So again, as the leader of your private school, the leader of your independent school, your teachers have emotional bank accounts and you are the banker. And just like regular bank accounts, you make deposits in the emotional bank accounts of your teachers, but you also make withdrawals. Sometimes we make withdrawals without even knowing or realizing we're just being careless but we can be intentional about making deposits. And sometimes, just like a regular bank account, we can also overdraw that account. And then that causes damage to our relationship with our teachers. So on today's episode of the Private School Leader Podcast, we are going to discuss the 10 ways to make deposits in your teacher's emotional bank accounts. But before we get into that, I just wanted to let you know about a free gift that I've created for you. It's a free resource, and it's called the Top Six Ways to Protect Your School from a Lawsuit. Sometimes people ask me, what's the most important part of my job? And sometimes my answer surprises them, and I say, to protect our school from litigation. And it's not um, keeping kids emotionally safe, although that's true. It's not all the other list of things that are important responsibilities for me. But if you had to put me on the spot and ask me a question, what's my most important responsibility? It's to protect our school from litigation. Because if we lose a big multi-million dollar lawsuit, we're not going to have a school. And so litigation is expensive. It's time consuming. It's stressful. And so I've created what I hope to be a common sense guide that will help you be more intentional and proactive at your school when it comes to protecting yourself against lawsuits. And you can grab the six ways to protect your school from a lawsuit over at theprivateschoolleader.com slash lawsuit. Again, that's a free gift to you for just listening to the podcast. And I really, really appreciate you taking time out of your day. So let's talk about those 10 ways that we can make deposits in the emotional bank accounts of our teachers. Number one, smile. Number two, treat them like people. And that has to do with empathy. Number three, recognize their hard work. Number four, offer practical help. Number five, listen and validate their feelings. Number six, notice. 
remember and encourage. Number seven, communicate clearly. Number eight, protect their teaching time. Number nine, say thank you. And number 10, apologize. So again, before we jump into that, just a reminder that the show notes, all of this will be broken down for you. So you don't have to try to remember 10, these 10 things, but the private school slash episode 21 is where you will find the show notes. So number one is smile. Mother Teresa once said, we will never know all the good that a simple smile can do. And there are well-known benefits to smiling for you physically. I was reading a blog post from nurtureyoursmile.com and it was listing the benefits of smiling. It can reduce stress, help heart health, lower blood pressure, boost your immune system by decreasing cortisol in the body. A simple smile, genuine or forced, prompts the brain to produce endorphins and serotonin causing positive emotions, unquote. Well, we know that, but several scientists scientists have done research that they've noticed that when someone smiles at us, that the part of our brain that controls feelings of reward is activated. So when someone smiles at me, there's a part of my brain that controls a feeling of being rewarded and that part of my brain is activated. So literally, if we receive a smile, someone smiles at us, we may feel like we've been given a prize or given some sort of um, reward or recognition. And so I want you to use your imagination for a moment. Let's say it's the first day on a new job. Maybe you're at, um, you're at a new school or think back to you know, maybe when you were in college and you had a part-time job, walk into that place, you don't know anybody. Maybe it's a dinner party where you don't really know people. You're at a conference and you're feeling awkward and someone just walks up to you and smiles and says, hello. How does that make you feel? Well, it makes you feel welcomed. It puts you at ease, um, makes you feel like everything's going to be okay. And so a smile is extremely powerful. And I want to say that I think that as private school leaders, that I will put myself in this category, but I think that we probably smile less than we think that we do. I probably smile less than I think I do. And here's the reason. It's because we're busy. We're busy. We're distracted. We're always on our way to that next meeting or to solve that next problem. And when we're concentrating, when we're busy, when we're focused, when we're distracted, we're much less likely to smile. And so one of the ways that we can make a deposit in the emotional bank account of our teachers is to make eye contact and smile and maybe even say good morning or say hi or say how are you and actually listen for the answer. You know, we've we all know that when we walk down the, or excuse me, that when we, um, um, that yawning is contagious. And just this week I was walking down the hall and one of my teachers, um, I yawned really big yawn towards the end of the day. And then immediately she yawned. And so I know you've experienced that before too. Well, I also believe that smiling is also contagious. So we need to smile more but we also need to be intentional about that. And smiling is good for us, but it also sends a really good message to our teachers and makes that little deposit in 
the emotional bank account. All right, number two, treat your teachers like people. Now, you might be saying, Mark, that's kind of ridiculous. Of course, they're people. I'm a very empathic person. I treat my people, my teachers well. Um, And I'll just say that sometimes, I'll, I'll just speak for myself, sometimes I forget to treat my teachers like people and I treat them like employees. But I need to remember, we need to remember that they have feelings and fears and hopes and dreams and stress and elderly parents and sick children and financial problems and health problems. And also they have joy in their life, like a child getting married or um, uh, all the different, just all the different things that we experience as people. Obviously, our teachers experience that too. And you're like, yeah, I know, I know that. But again, go back to what I said in point number one. We're distracted. We're busy. We're going from one problem to the next. And I find that, and I've actually heard this quote, that empathy is the first casualty of a chaotic day. Empathy is the first casualty of a chaotic day. And so I don't necessarily show as much empathy when I'm really stressed out or really distracted. And so um, I would say, and I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, that something that helps me is to try to put on these magic goggles where I can see through that person's eyes. You know, what are they going through? What's their day like? And to just really show respect for that person and to show that empathy. And uh, one of the authors and leadership experts that I really like a lot of his books. His name is John Maxwell. In one of his books, he talks about putting a 10 on everyone's head in the organization. And what he means by that is that he visualizes that every individual, whether it's the CEO or a bus driver or the custodian or um, an aide or a TSS or whoever it might be in the organization, wherever they are on the flow chart, that he puts a 10 on everyone's head. And he tries to treat everybody the same, that they're worthy and that they're valuable and that they're worth listening to and worth noticing and worth treating with empathy and with love and with respect. And so I just challenge myself and I challenge everyone listening that we treat everyone treat all of our teachers, all of our staff members, treat them like our biggest donor, our most valued veteran teacher, treat them like they're a celebrity, treat them like they're a rock star. And you might say, oh yeah, you know, we do that. And then, you know, they're not going to do their job. They're going to think, listen, we do emotional work. It's been really, really difficult, especially over the last few years. And I'm not saying that we don't hold people accountable. I'm just saying that we need to be intentional. I need to be intentional about treating teachers like people. All right, on to number three. Number three is recognize their hard work. And remember, what we're talking about is making deposits in their emotional bank accounts. So again, it could be you know, that we're saving up for something, a vacation, something big, And what are we doing? We're making these little deposits here, $20 there, $50 there, $100 out of this paycheck that month, whatever it might be. 
and all of the little bits of it add up over a period of time. And, and that's the same mindset that we have to have with our teachers. And so number one was smile. Number two is treat them like people. And number three, recognize their hard work. So most school leaders, especially private school leaders, used to be teachers. And I want you to stop and think about when you were in the classroom full-time. Most of you listening used to be full-time teachers at some point in your career. And we know that it is really, really hard work, and it's frustrating. And so we need to be careful to never have the attitude that, well, quote-unquote, that's their job, or quote-unquote, well, they get paid to do that. Well, that's true. Our teachers at our school do get a salary. They do get paid. But if we view our teachers through that lens, we are going to see what they do as hard work as just an expectation, and we're not going to acknowledge or recognize that hard work. And so let's start by being more intentional about acknowledging and praising that hard work and also be specific. Um, You know, great job is better to hear that than to not hear that at all. But again, if it's specific praise and we say what we appreciate. And so for, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, So one example is, is that at our school, we have a communication expectation in fourth through eighth grade that at the end, when a teacher ends a unit and, and starts a new unit, that they're going to send an email to the parents. So let's just say it's the fourth grade science teacher, and um, he's starting a he's ending a unit and starting a new unit, and he sends out an email about what they just were doing and what they're starting with a couple of photos and, um, you know, why it was awesome and, you know, why the kids were great. And so um, what I'll do is I'll just take that email and I'll reply to it. And I CC our, I don't do this all the time, but I do this some of the time, especially when I notice that it's a a really great email. Um, I'll CC our head of school and our communications director. And then I'll just say, hey, I'll acknowledge, I know that you don't have time to do this. I really appreciate you doing it. It was a great email. And I'm sure that our parents love being informed about what's going on in science class. And it looks like the kids are having fun in these photos. And so what did I just say? That was like three, four sentences that maybe took me 45 to 60 seconds to do. But I was specifically um, showing my appreciation for him meeting that communication expectation. So I could have had the attitude of, well, you know, we made it clear that's what he's supposed to do. But, um, you know, I try to view it through the lens of um, why I should appreciate and acknowledge and recognize that. And then another example is maybe I saw how you resolved that conflict at recess. And I really appreciate how high you are in your, your high emotional intelligence. And I really appreciate that. And so when you recognize the hard work of your teachers, you make a deposit in their emotional bank accounts. And so just be specific and say what we appreciate. All right. Number four. Uh, Number four is offer practical help. So sometimes that help is listening to the teacher vent about a student or a parent, but the thing that teachers probably need most often is time. And so what I'll do sometimes is I will offer to cover a recess duty when a teacher is struggling to get caught up on grading, or it's the week of the science fair and it's the science teacher, or it's the spring concert and it's the, the music teacher, 
or the band teacher, for example, um, maybe you heard that they were at urgent care until 11 p.m. with their sick child, and you offer to cover morning homeroom and have that teacher come in 30 minutes late. And it doesn't always have to be you that's covering the recess or covering the morning homeroom. There are other teachers that can pitch in here and there as long as you're not taking advantage and you're just you know, rotating who you ask. But here and there, it can be rare. Um, but it means, it. You, in my opinion, in my experience, it will have a disproportionately positive impact. So that 25 or 30 minutes that you covered at recess duty or that 30 minute um, coming in late because of the child, the sick child at urgent care, that that's a deposit that is something that the teachers, uh, the teacher really remembers. So we're talking about the 10 ways to make deposits in your teacher's emotional bank accounts. Number one, smile. Number two, treat them like people. Number three, recognize their hard work. Number four, offer practical help. And number five is listen and validate their feelings. So I said listen and validate their feelings. I want you to pay attention to what I did not say. I did not say listen and then solve all of their problems. I did not say listen and agree with every word that they said. I did not say listen and absolve them of all of their job responsibilities. I said listen and validate their feelings. That's how you make a deposit. So you listen, first of all active listening body language, you're not using your device, and you're not listening with the intent to respond. If you're listening with the intent to respond, you are not listening because the brain can only efficiently do one thing at a time. And then you're going to validate their feelings. And you could say something like, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. Or you could say, I'm sure that you felt disrespected when that parent said that to you. Or you could say, that sounds exhausting. Or you could say, that really sucks. So you're validating their feelings. Now, again, you're not necessarily agreeing with everything. You're not here to let them off the hook from something that they need to do. Maybe they need to have a conversation with that parent. But you're listening and you're validating their feelings. And then one more thing on this point is resist the temptation to let the advice monster come out of its cage. And the advice monster is that thing that's in us, many of us as school leaders, where we hear something and because we solve problems all day long, that immediately we want to give advice on how to solve the problem. And my wife taught me this, um, and I now say when she's talking to me about something or venting or sharing a problem, is I'll say, well, do you want me to just listen or do you want some advice? Or do you want me to just listen or do you want some help with this problem? And I recently read some research that said that 90% of people, when they are upset, just want to feel heard and have their feelings validated. So um, that might be high when it comes to our independent school parents, but I don't think it's that high. People want to be heard. They want to have their feelings validated. So you make a deposit in a teacher's emotional bank account when you listen and validate their feelings. Okay, on to number six, notice, remember, and encourage. So first of all, what are we noticing? Well, I'm a big believer in noticing body language. And I try to physically see every one of my teachers every day. 
Now, I didn't say that I talked to or have a conversation with every one of my teachers every day, but between arrival and um, we have a, a prayer service at our school every morning, between lunch, recess, um, class changes, I'm not always successful, but I really try to at least, even at a distance, physically see every one of my teachers every day and to just read their body language. So what message are they sending as far as their energy level, maybe at the beginning of the day, or what are they looking like at the end of the day? Um, tone of voice, attitude, level of patience, um, their volume level with the kids or with their colleagues. Um, there's a lot that you can notice. There's a lot that's going on and be aware of what's going on and to notice what's going on. And one of the big ways to do that is to be visible. And I know that sometimes we get stuck in our office and we have good intentions about getting out into the school more, but to be visible and to notice what's going on with our teachers, especially their body language. So that's the first thing. Second thing is to remember. So remember something great or something hard. So for example, one of your teachers, their daughter graduated from college over the weekend, or one of your teachers, their husband had gallbladder surgery on Tuesday afternoon, or their elderly parent was moving into a nursing home over the weekend. And you might say, well, how am I supposed to remember that when I hear about it and then um, ask them about it three days later? Well, I'll just I'll just tell you what I do when I'm out and about in the school and I have those casual conversations, I'll just pull out my phone and send myself a quick email and I'll put on the subject line, um, Jane's husband, uh, surgery Tuesday, something like that. Very brief, a few, a few words. And then when I'm back at my desk, then, um, I am working on email at my scheduled times of the day. Um, and then I schedule that and maybe from 10 a.m. to 10.03 a.m. on Wednesday morning, I'll ask, how was your husband's gallbladder surgery? How did the surgery go? Or Monday at 10 a.m., it'll say Henry's daughter. Or Wednesday at 11 a.m., it'll say um, something about um, the elderly parent that moved into the nursing home. And so I ask, and sometimes I remember, but listen, there is no way that I'm going to remember these things. There's no way, in my opinion, that you're going to remember these things. We have good intentions, but I'm a big believer that you can schedule your good intentions. And then when you remember and you ask, then you're making, in my opinion, a big deposit in that teacher's emotional bank account because you remembered and you asked and you treated them like a human being. And then the third thing is to encourage. So I believe I'm a big believer in encouragement, be it face to face or a handwritten note or a text or an email. I put those in that order on purpose because that's, that's best to worst, but the one on here that's worst is still a hundred times better than not at all. So face to face is best little handwritten note. I know those take time, um, but a text or an email. That, and, and when I say email, it doesn't have to be a manifesto. It can be a couple of sentences. And so again, you're at your desk and that thing pops up on your screen that says on Monday morning, you know, ask um, Maria about her mom. You don't have to go and leave your office and find Maria and pull her out of class and ask her how it went. You can shoot her a text or you can ask uh, or you can send an email with a couple of sentences. 
you can congratulate Henry on his daughter's graduation um, and all of these other things. So um, a couple of other tips, um, buy some sympathy cards in bulk, like a dozen or 20 or what have you from Amazon. Those are generally fairly inexpensive because people have family members that pass away. And again, we all have good intentions about sending a sympathy card, but it's a hundred times more likely that you're actually going to do it if you have a package of 12 sympathy cards in your desk drawer. Also have a bunch of blank thank you cards in your desk and then be intentional about using them. In episode one of this podcast, I talked about live the quote and the quote was from Maya Angelou and it said, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So, when I'm trying to interact with one of my teachers or a parent for that matter or a student, I try really hard to think about how will this interaction make them feel. Will they feel heard? Will they feel validated? Will they feel noticed? Will they feel like a human being? Will they feel appreciated? So again, on this section, it's notice, remember, and encourage. Okay, number seven, communicate clearly. So teachers want to know what's going on, and we know that predictability and support makes us feel emotionally safe. And let's face it, our schools can be organized chaos, and some of that is unavoidable. But do you have a daily memo at your school? Well, if you do, you can make sure that that is a reliable and accurate source of information. Maybe it's the office staff that's responsible for the memo. Well, you can make sure that the admins that are supposed to get them that reliable information, including early dismissals for sports or extra rehearsals for the concert, um, all of those things need to be in that daily memo or whatever you use at your school for regular communication. So communicate clearly. Um, at my old school, um, we had a stage that was in the gym um, and there would sometimes be a PE class going on and then there would be a class that would walk in for a concert um, rehearsal during concert season and that would cause conflict and there would it was because of poor communication and multi-use spaces and the people who use those spaces in particular um, we're doing we're making withdrawals from their emotional bank account when everything is chaotic and um, unpredictable and last minute because of poor communication this is also true with one-on-one -on -one conversations about our clear communication. Author Brene Brown says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. So being indirect does not protect anyone's feelings. It just leads to misunderstandings. And um, earlier in our marriage, my wife would say something like, wow, I really need some groceries around here. And she really wanted me to offer to go to the grocery store, but early in our marriage, I didn't know that. And so we figured that out, and now we're more clear with each other. But if you want one of your teachers to do something, you need to ask them clearly to do the thing, not be indirect, hope they got the message, and then be annoyed with them when they don't do the thing. So when you communicate clearly, you make a deposit in your teacher's emotional bank account. All right, we're talking about the 10 ways to make deposits in your teacher's emotional bank accounts. 
Number one, smile. Number two, treat them like people. Number three, recognize their hard work. Number four, offer practical help. Number five, listen and validate their feelings. Number six, notice, remember, and encourage. Number seven, communicate clearly. And number eight, protect their teaching time. So teachers want to teach. They do a lot of planning. They have a curriculum. They have special projects. They have a scope and sequence. They have a timeline. They know how much time they have before this break or before the end of the grading period. And so when things happen, especially with little notice like assemblies or early dismissals for sports or an extra rehearsal for a special program at school or a concert or any of the other things that can take away teaching time, those can be withdrawals from the emotional bank account because then the message that we're sending is is that what they're doing is not important. And I'll give you an example. At my previous school, we had different student organizations that sold lunch. So, for example, student council or NHS or the senior class, they would be responsible for selling lunch on different days of the week. And the period before lunch, there would be different kids that would leave class to go set up for lunch. And the organizational leaders, but I have to take extreme ownership and take responsibility for that, we did a lousy job of communicating to the teachers, well, which day was which and which kids were responsible this week. And kids would just get up and they'd be like, oh, well, I got to go do whatever. I got to go stir the nacho cheese or whatever it was. And this was very discouraging and annoying for the teachers. And we just weren't communicating clearly and were not protecting their teaching time. So to try to lessen the impact of these things, give lots of notice Um, Try to rotate the impact when possible, meaning that if this class is getting dinged by this rehearsal or by this assembly, then you just intentionally make sure that the next time that it happens that it doesn't ding that same class again. And then try to give time back when possible, especially when you're coming up on the end of a grading period. Teachers want to teach, and when you protect their teaching time, you make deposits in their emotional bank accounts. Okay, number nine, say thank you. So how, how often do you say thank you to your teachers? Now, I would probably answer, well, all the time. I'm always thanking my teachers. But I really wonder if my teachers would say that. I wonder how my teachers would answer that question. And I wonder how your teachers would answer that question. And in episode 13 of this podcast, it, it was called How Gratitude Can Make You a Happier and More Effective Leader there was a statistic that I shared that 80% of people say they will work harder for a grateful boss. So we need to be more intentional about showing gratitude. And I think, again, we have good intentions, but we probably overestimate how often we show appreciation and show gratitude for our teachers. It sounds so simple, but it doesn't just happen. It's not something that um, is just magically part of what we do. We have to be intentional and be specific and be sincere. We have to be intentional, be specific, and be sincere. And when we show gratitude, we make deposits in our teachers' emotional bank accounts. And then number 10, apologize. So during the first probably at least 10, probably more like 15 years of my career, I really got this wrong. I let my ego get in the way. Um, I thought it was a show of weakness to apologize. I would get defensive easily and rarely apologize. And that was just stupid. 
Um, my teachers knew that I was wrong. Um, my teachers knew when I messed up or if I had broken a promise or forgotten to do something. And so I started owning my mistakes and I started to apologize sincerely and then just promise to try to make it better. And then I would work hard to try to make it better. So number 10, we make a deposit in our teachers, emotional bank accounts that if we mess up, that we own it and we apologize and then just try to make it better. So those are the 10 on the list, but I just want to flip it around for a moment. We're talking all about deposits. Well, let's flip this list around and talk about how do you make withdrawals from your teacher's emotional bank accounts? Well, don't smile. Don't treat them like people. Don't recognize their hard work. Don't offer practical help. Don't listen and validate their feelings. Don't notice. Don't remember. Don't encourage. Don't communicate clearly. Don't protect their teaching time. Don't say thank you. Don't apologize. And those are the ways that we will make withdrawals. But that's not what we want to do. We want to do these things and intentional, intentionally, um, our big takeaways for today's episode, just intentionally, I'm just going to run through the list quickly one more time. Number one, smile. Number two, treat them like people and show empathy. Number three, recognize their hard work. Number four, offer practical help. Number five, listen and validate their feelings. Number six, notice, remember, and encourage. Number seven, communicate clearly. Number eight, protect their teaching time. Number nine, say thank you. And number 10, apologize. And I always like to give a call to action near the end of every episode. And my call to action for this week would be to focus on listening and validating the feelings of your teachers rather than immediately trying to give advice or solve the problem. Focus on listening and validating the feelings of your teachers rather than immediately trying to offer advice or solve the problem. So let's wrap it up. I hope you got value from today's episode. This podcast exists to help you thrive and not just survive as you serve the students and teachers at your school. And just another quick reminder that I've created a free resource for you called the top six ways to protect your school from a lawsuit. And you can get that at the privateschoolleader.com slash lawsuit. This is an eight page PDF that will help you to keep your staff and students safe and help keep your school out of court. So you can grab that at the privateschoolleader.com slash lawsuit. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can grab the show notes at the privateschoolleader.com slash episode 21. A new episode of the Private School Leader podcast comes out every week, and you can find that on Apple or Spotify or YouTube. And also, I just wanted to remind you that I'm on Instagram at the private school leader on Twitter at the PS leader. Also, I'd love for you to email me. My email address is mark.o.minkus at gmail.com. M-A-R-K dot O dot M-I-N-K-U-S at gmail.com. If you've gotten any value or if you have a question or need a pep talk or have a suggestion for a future episode. And I've been your host, Mark Minkus. I want to say that I appreciate you and the hard work as you serve your school. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this episode. And I will see you next time on the Private School Leader Podcast. Until then, always remember to serve first, lead second, and make a difference.